Episode 44, The Haunted Williamson Museum, Part 1. Welcome to the Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all your restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who've experienced them, and share them with you, right here. We're currently looking for more personal ghost stories or haunted locations, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightoutpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. The Williamson Museum is located in the gorgeous and historic downtown district of Georgetown, Texas. The museum is housed in a historic district whose lot and early foundations date back to the early 1800s. And it was in 1997 that the building was purchased by the Historical Commission to become the home of the Williamson Museum, which has been collecting, preserving, and exhibiting the rich culture and heritage of Williamson County ever since. However, staff and patrons at the museum started to realize that it's not just the history and culture that's being preserved in this museum. There also seems to be remnants from the past lingering in the hallways and exhibit spaces of the building. Having had so many experiences, the staff now have names for all their ghosts, they've had multiple paranormal investigations, and now have an ongoing existing ghost tour. So join us, the Night Owl team, as we dive in to explore the entire haunted history of the Williamson Museum. Stay tuned. Thank you to AG1 for continuing to support the Night Owl podcast. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamins D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash nightowl. This podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash nightowl today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash nightowl. The Williamson Museum is just up the road, about 27 miles north of Austin, in the town of Georgetown, Texas. This area was inhabited mostly by the Tonkwa Native Americans and other nomadic tribes prior to the 1830s when white settlers began coming to the area. The popular phrase, gone to Texas, was used by many Americans who were immigrating to Texas to escape debt or seeking a new beginning. In 1836, Texas gained its independence from Mexico, which increased the influx of settlers into the area. In 1848, several of the settlers in the area made a request for and received the establishment of their own county and named it Williamson County, in honor of Robert McAlpin Williamson, a veteran of the Battle of San Jacinto, and who, interestingly enough, was nicknamed Three-Legged Willie because of his peg leg. That same year, a group of men headed by William Anderson were tasked with finding a suitable location for establishing a town to become the county seat for Williamson County. As luck would have it, Anderson's cousin, a wealthy landowner named George Washington Glasscock, agreed to donate 174 acres of land in exchange for the town being named after him. Thus, Georgetown, Texas was born on the banks of the north and south forks of the San Miguel River. Like most settlements at the time, it was chosen because of the abundance of timber and a good clear water source. Today, the entire downtown square has been designated as a historical landmark and many of the Victorian-era buildings have been preserved by the Historical Commission. Some call it the most beautiful town square in Texas. And I have to agree. I love a day trip to downtown Georgetown where we can hop to antique stores, coffee shops, confectionaries, fudge shops, bars, and of course, the Williamson Museum. Located directly across from the old courthouse, the Williamson Museum now occupies a space that was once part of the original layout of the town and was known as Lot 5. Lot 5 originally housed a one-story wooden structure used as a saloon and a billiard bar until 1894. In 1894, a two-story limestone structure took its place and housed a barber shop, a restaurant, and eventually a grocery store. In 1909, the property was eventually sold to Farmer State Bank, who refurbished and improved the building to its current appearance. Williamson County purchased the building in 1967 and it was used for various offices until being purchased by the Historical Commission, 
ultimately becoming home to the Williamson Museum, which opened its doors in 2003. In the summer of 2022, I was informed of the reported activity at the museum and was put in touch with several of their staff. In this episode, let's examine the haunted history of the Williamson Museum from the testimony I gathered from the initial phone calls to Danielle, Anne, Denise, Haley, and Nancy. My name is Danielle, and I'm the educator at the Williamson Museum. The Williamson Museum is located in Georgetown, Texas, about 30 minutes north of Austin, and we're the County History Museum for Williamson County. We're located on a square in downtown Georgetown, so that we are surrounded by historic buildings, and the museum itself is in a historic building. In fact, The building that we're in right now was built in 1912 as the Farmer State Bank Building. But before that, there were buildings that were around and one where the building where we were were a wooden building uh, that were things like a dentist's office, a billiards hall. We know this because actually when the museum was opening in 2003, we did renovations. The museum itself was established as a nonprofit in 1997 to educate and preserve and exhibit Williamson County's history and their culture. And what they decided to do was when they were going to renovate the building, they have to do dig pits. And so we did actually five circular ones and one large square. And if you come visit the museum, you can actually see one of the large square pits still open. And they found about 3,000 artifacts. And those 3,000 artifacts varied from broken bottles or you would think about like trash that people may have left behind. But two of the most interesting things that were found during that archaeological dig was an intact human molar tooth and a broken pool cue chalk that they could date back to the 1890s because at some point that formula actually changed. And so they were actually able to date when that was. So we like to joke that the human molar tooth could have been from the billiards hall or it could have been from the dentist's office. We don't know. But we know that there have been people here for a long time. In fact, on the Georgetown Square, the oldest standing building was built in 1870. And some of the more modern historical buildings were built around the 1920s. Many of them have been renovated, but they all have long histories. So that's a little bit about our building. We have exhibits that change all the time that carry different topics. But when we work in museum, we're really just trying to share all different types of history and relate it to Williamson County. So there's always something about the founding of Williamson County in the museum, but we're really just trying to make local history be really fun. It's not a boring place. So we do all kinds of fun activities. Everything's hands-on. It's not a quiet place where you have to be like you would think in a traditional museum. We let you touch things. Uh, We have a whole education collection. So all of those things really try to make history come alive. I came to work at the museum in June of 2014. So I've been here about eight and a half-ish years. And um, I didn't know that the building had anything besides the, you know, documented history that you would assume that a historical building would have. I shortly learned that besides the history that goes on and we're teaching patrons or museum visitors, there is some other history. We have quite a few different paranormal experiences. Between 2008 and 2010, we did have some paranormal groups come in and do some investigations. It had been relatively quiet, but in the fall of 2014, we really started to see a spike in activity that happened. And um, what's interesting is many of our curators throughout time, um, they had a little handbook. And in the handbook, it just said, say good morning and good night to everyone, whether there are people in the museum or not. And that was just kind of the vague instructions that were left for curators. 
And the curators and staff still say good morning and good night, whether there are people in the museum or not. My name is Anne, and I actually began volunteering at the museum around 2006, 2007. And I always heard stories that there were ghosts there. The staff always talked about them. Um, but until I became a staff member, I didn't really have any experiences of my own. Uh, after I graduated with my master's degree, I actually came back to work at the museum in 2012. And that's when I was told by the former curator whose position I was taking over um, that I needed to be sure to always greet and say goodbye to the ghosts. So always make sure I said hello and make sure I said goodbye. And so I would do that um, because I I knew that they had always taken them pretty seriously. I've had some strange experiences in my life, so it's not hurting anyone to say hello or goodbye, so might as well. And then one day it was, uh, I think the power had gone out and we weren't going to be at the museum, but the alarm system was going off. And so it called me and I happened to be at my parents' house and my mother came up with me and we went in and I yelled, hello, like I normally do. And she asked what I was doing. Um, and so I told my mom, well, I'm greeting ghosts. You know, our previous curator told me to do this, so I'm doing it. She said, but you just say hello. You don't, you don't know their names. That's, that's rude. <laughs> and so well, no, I don't know their names. And we had this whole discussion and she, my mother kept telling me that I was, you know, being a little bit disrespectful because I wasn't even greeting them by their names. And if, you know, she was a ghost, she would want to be greeted by her name. So I didn't really think much of that. But after that, things started happening at a much faster clip. That was kind of the powder keg, this little spark that the spirits of the Williamson Museum needed to react they pretty much almost immediately reacted to that conversation. Before, you know, the elevator would go by itself when you were the only person there, or you might hear sounds of footsteps when you were the only person there coming up the stairs. There would be little things like that. But then after my mom brought up not knowing their names, things started to fly off the wall. At that time, we had a World War II comes to Williamson County exhibit. And there was a memorial wall. We had had people buy plaques to memorialize their loved ones that fought in World War II or even people who are currently serving. So if you could imagine like the plaques that you would put, like the little metal plaques that you could almost put on trophies, this is what we had put on the wall. They were held up with very heavy duty mounting tape. And the very first thing that had happened, and so they each had the branches. So you had your army. You had your Marine. And one of, I believe it was the Army, big square, probably like a four by four square, had been completely ripped off the wall. And I don't mean fall, but had completely ripped off the wall. And it was taken, it took the plaster and paint with it too. And it was maybe 10 feet around the corner up a ramp. This one plaque that was very attached to the wall was perfectly fine when we closed the museum at five o'clock on one day, came back in the next morning. So no one should have been in there in between. And the plaque was literally across the room with a chunk of the wall attached to it. So not like it had just fallen down. It looked like it had been ripped and thrown. Not like it could have been blown because of air conditioning or even if it had fallen off the wall, there's no way that it could have fallen that far. So that was kind of the first big sign that we're like, hmm, maybe somebody is here. Well, the increased activity continued throughout the month of September. We were open on Sundays that month, and the staff had come in to the front office, and the front office was in total disarray. And we have an alarm system. We have its motion activated, so it's not like somebody could have broken in and made a huge mess or even a disgruntled employee we would have known but the top shelf that had had brochures on it had been completely broken off there was a picture frame that had slammed into another glass picture frame but only one of the glass picture frames had been broken the one that was really important 
and was actually a very rare piece of art, did not break. So the frame that wasn't important didn't really have anything special that did break. And the most peculiar thing about that particular disturbance was the brochure. So the top had kind of been broken off. The bottom shelf was completely not disturbed at all. So there were brochures all over the office, but the bottom, there was just no way for it to break without taking the bottom down unless somebody intentionally broke the top part because all that first row was completely lined up like nothing had happened. The middle was pretty in disarray too, but it was that perfect um, bottom shelf that was just totally fine. And so we had to end up cleaning it up, but we realized that the museum spirits were making their presence known. And we have lots of volunteers that come and volunteer, and we have something called a collection session. And they come and help us identify artifacts. They help sometimes with some restoration of things, help put up exhibits, but we were having a collection session. And the volunteers got very interested in this. And there was a long discussion of what the best method of communication with the spirits would be. And it was around that time that some volunteers, when I was telling them the story, started joking about, well, you know, write your name in flower, or um, we, can, we can figure out the ghost name somehow, we can do it. The volunteers said, oh, put flower on the table, and maybe they'll write their names in the flower. And I said, that's not a good idea. We're a museum. We can't just put flower out on the table. It's not good for the artifacts. So I, I joked that if the spirits would like to contact me via email or phone and let me know their names, that the staff would gladly greet them by name. And then Danielle started getting phone calls for an Emilio. And they would be all sorts of different phone calls. And they came from everywhere. They were telemarketers. They were police phone calls. There were personal phone calls, medical phone calls. And what is interesting about this is my particular line that is just my direct educator line, which it was coming through, it wasn't coming through our main line and being transferred, has been the exact same since the museum opened in 2003. It's a county phone line and there's no way that somebody could have written their number down wrong this many ways with that many different organizations and they're all calling for an Amelia. So to make good on my promise, the staff, including myself, all started to say hello to Emilio. And we all tried to be very conscious of any clues that the spirits may have left behind. And then the activity kind of just began to calm down and it was kind of the normal noises. So things that have been longstanding things, our elevator will go up with nobody in it. Nobody pressed the button. You'll hear footsteps down the middle of the hallway downstairs. You'll hear footsteps up the stairs. Nobody's here. One of the new common things, we have kind of like an attic crawl space above us, but there's nothing in there. And it, there's no easy access to it, but we will constantly hear things being moved around like furniture. So just kind of usual little small things until the end of January came in 2015. At the museum, I never personally experienced seen any physical embodiment or shadow figure. I did have a colleague, Danielle, who was there late one evening and saw a woman in white as she was trying to drop off education materials. In fact, she actually saw her twice, which really made her believe that she wasn't just imagining the figure. I was actually returning from a science fair late at night. And so I decided oh, it's late at night. It was past 9 p.m. I'm just going to go ahead and drop off our traveling trunk. It's one of our educational programs. And um, it's just going to be a quick five-minute drop-off. So the museum has an alley behind us. And so I was able to pull into it, grabbed the trunk out of my car. I went in, did the alarm, but I didn't even bother turning on any lights because I could see pretty well. I was just going to take the elevator up, leave the trunk, and go back downstairs. Well, um, I rode the elevator back up and I pulled the trunk to the middle of the meeting room and there's a window upstairs that looks down 
to our hallway. The hallway on one side has our collections area on it. And on the other side is the only original part of the upstairs, which was kind of like a bank vault that was original from the bank. So I'm looking downstairs and I see what appears to be a full-bodied apparition of a woman in white right downstairs by the collection. This kind of ghostly image was not wearing modern clothes, but more of an outfit that was reminiscent of like the late 19th and early 20th centuries. So definitely not a modern day. So I turn around and I quickly convince myself that I must be overtired and I have imagined the image and I'm just not going to turn around and I'm going to go take the elevator down and I'm going to go out the back door. And I do remember making the conscious decision as I was setting the alarm. If I would have looked, the image would have been to my left. And I remember making that decision that I'm just not going to look down to the left because I don't, I don't want to see. Because I have convinced myself at this point, I've imagined the image. But I walk out and we have a door that is a glass door. And I get into my car and I turn on my car. And I look at the door and there's that same image of this woman in white in not modern day clothing, illuminated by my headlights. And I say, oh my goodness, maybe I didn't imagine it, but I've still tried to convince myself that I'm overtired. So I go to work the next day and I tell everybody the story and I'm still not quite believing that I saw this thing, saw this woman in white, but we all decided to start calling this spirit, this ghost, Amelia. And the activity seemed pretty regular for the next few months, just kind of the usual same. But every once in a while, I would get, I would still get a phone call for Amelia. And normally, it would come in the middle of a conversation when we were trying to make a decision, whether a staff meeting when we were trying to make a decision, or I, was, I said something like a statement but the spirits wanted their opinions to be known, I would get a phone call. And then later in 2015, one of the bigger pieces activity we had was a glass shelf actually fell off and shattered in the office. But there was a glass award on that shelf that the museum had won that wasn't just like a regular of the mill award. It was something that was more important and it did not break. The things that were on it that were important awards didn't break and nothing on the shelf below it was touched. And so that's the one interesting thing about the activity is it never, ever seemed malicious. And the staff always seem to think that the spirits always do the activity to let us know what they think, what their opinions are. There had been a paranormal investigation years before either of us had worked there that we had some information from. That same group, or at least components of that same group, wanted to come back. And so I had a meeting scheduled to actually go meet with their kind of leader off-site at a Starbucks. And he and I went and met, and he was asking a little bit about my experiences and if anyone else in the museum had experiences. And I said, well, actually... One of my coworkers did see something, and his immediate response was, was it the lady in white in the hallway? Which is exactly what she saw. It turns out that's what he had seen on his previous investigation at the museum. So that kind of corroborated both of their stories for me, and the ways that they described her and described her dress that she was wearing um, were very similar, despite me not having told the investigator what my coworker saw. And when he confirmed it, that's when I started believing that I actually did see this image and that I just hadn't imagined it. But it was pretty much, this happened in August of 2016, this investigation. It pretty much took place all night from about 7 p.m. to about 4 a.m. We turned the lights off. We are in a historic building and we have very large high windows, so we tried to cover as much as as many of them as possible um and a lot of the places of reported activity so the hallway the front office and our collections area were set up they had cameras that were hooked up to dvrs and so someone from that investigation team would always watch it and so 
people that were involved in this were a couple staff members, myself and the curator at the time, a couple of the curator's friends, and the investigators. And we actually split up into different groups. And the first investigation session, there were two. One took place in the upstairs collections area and one in the downstairs area. The upstairs collection area is interesting because, as I said, they didn't get a whole bunch in that really early investigation. But one thing they did get was an EVP as a paranormal investigator ran into a large metal survey wheel to do land surveying. He ran into it and he goes, oh, I shouldn't run into that. You know, this is an artifact. I should be careful. Well, when they play back that recording that they had on them, they hear a small voice go, do it. Do it again. As in to run into the artifact again. That's a little bit of that mischievous thing. That was one of the biggest signs um, that they had done in that early investigation. And then there was also a downstairs group. The most surprising thing that came out of this very first session was what I kind of alluded to earlier is I was in the downstairs group with two other people. And we were sitting there and that front office originally used to be the bank president's office. It's now our visitor services coordinator's office. The upstairs collection is right behind it. And we look up there and it is the loudest, heavy furniture dragging that you can hear. And in fact, we were doing our session and we finally look at each other and we're trying to be quiet. And we're like, do you hear that? And we all three heard it. And we assume that it was the group upstairs that maybe they were taking chairs into the upstairs collection because there weren't chairs. And so they were going to take them up there and maybe that was just them moving around. We didn't really ever see anything too much during that investigation, but we all did hear a lot of things, a lot of movement that wouldn't necessarily be explained given that it was one in the morning, the building next door to us was vacant, the shop next door to us was closed, and there was a lot of heavy lifting, furniture moving type sounds, things dragging across the floor, very loud, and obviously not anyone from our group that was doing that. Well, when the groups get back together, the upstairs group actually says to us first, what were you guys doing down there? And I looked at them, I go, no, what were you doing upstairs? And the person who had been monitoring the video said, none of you were making any noise. Nobody was moving. So it was the spirit. And they tend to do that quite a bit. Um, that's one of the most common things they do now, especially if people are by themselves. They did it when the board was making a really big decision of whether to purchase a building or not um, a couple years later. And they were very active and pulling furniture and things like that, trying to, I guess, let their opinion be known to the board as well. So that was the first session. There were a couple other interesting sessions that happened that night. One of the sessions was in the collections area. There was sort of a figure, almost like a taller man, that came out of one of the shelves in the collections area. And there are windows in it, and those windows hadn't been covered up. So we weren't sure whether that was a person or not. But what had happened is later that fall of 2016, we actually brought a TV crew back out. And the same thing, I mean, there was a spirit cam set up in there for maybe 45 minutes to an hour, not very long. And we got that same image of almost like a taller man coming out of one of the closed collection shelf storage areas. So we do know that there's a spirit that resides in there. There was also a spirit box session. And that is where we learned at least some of the spirit's names in the museum. What we know of or what the paranormal investigators thought um, and what they kind of said through the spirit box is the lady in white in the hallway. We don't know if her real life name was Amelia, but she has taken that. She has accepted that name, but she is what the other spirits have told us is kind of that she's the head ghost. She's kind of the boss ghost. So things kind of have to run through her first. And then we have some other active spirits. They're all still present today, but we had a six-year-old ghost named Zach. We have a 12-year-old ghost named Faith. And we have a bilingual ghost named Raul. So at that time, that's kind of who we knew we had. We had Amelia, we had Zach, we had Faith, and we had Raul. 
And then there were a couple other spirits that come through and said that they were moving, like they were passing through. Kind of the theory was the building next door to us had been through a lot of turbulence, a lot of changeover, and a lot of renovations, and was experiencing a lot of renovations. So that kind of brought up the theory that ghosts aren't necessarily always permanently affixed in one spot, especially when renovations happen. You often hear that paranormal activity starts happening more frequently, or maybe changes or stops. So that perhaps we had a few visitors in from the afterlife and the museum that were temporarily hanging out over while their their building and their spot was being worked on. So I don't know if I fully believe that. I do think that there's definitely the possibility that activities and renovations can disturb whatever might be in a spot. So I think it's plausible, but um, I never personally had much interaction with either Faith or Raul, but I did have more experiences with Zach and Amelia. The investigators tried to ask them a lot of questions. They really only wanted to say their names and their ages. They didn't really want to share anything else. And that was an important thing that our volunteers, our ghost tour guides, people have asked. The investigators were trying to get the spirits to help them and help them move on. And what is interesting is the museum spirits have never responded to that request. And they seem to be perfectly happy interacting here in the museum. When we were getting some of the names downstairs, there was also a spirit box session happening upstairs. It was August of 2016. We had actually just finished our election. We had a hundred years of political superheroes in 2016, where we talked about a different day from 1860 to 1960 influential elections. So we had talked about local suffragettes. We had talked about elections. The kids had a voting booth. They got to vote every day in these elections. And when we do summer history camp, the kids have a little merit system. So if they do good things, they answer questions, they're helpful, they get a little golden merit, and they can earn prizes. And the reason why I explained that is during the spirit box session, there was basically um, the, the paranormal investigator who didn't know, there's words starting to fly like election, suffragette, voting. And since she was in a county building, she said, oh, you must be talking about voting. Were you a voting election official? Were you something? Well, the curator was up there and she goes, are you talking about summer history camp? (laughs) The spirit says prizes. And then she said, oh, the curator said, do you want a prize? The next thing that said was flying. Well, the prize box was still out. And there was a leftover prize in the prize box that was a little model airplane. And so we ended up giving the model airplane to what we assume was the spirits, but particularly, I think, our six-year-old Zach. When we get back from this short break, we're going to hear the conclusion of this paranormal investigation at the museum, what followed after it, and what continues to haunt the staff in the building today. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp Therapy Online. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash night owl. Start living a better life today. Have you ever gone to bed at night, got yourself all snuggled in, ready to get a well-deserved good night's sleep, only to suddenly be bombarded by annoying thoughts racing through your head? I've been there. More nights than I'd like to admit. When this happens, I just end up desperately trying to block them all out so I can get that much needed rest, but my brain has other ideas. I know many of you might have the same issue now and again, trying to turn that brain off so you can sleep. Sometimes it's an issue at work, perhaps something in life is troubling you, causing you unwanted stress, or it could be something more serious like anxiety or depression. Sometimes it struggles with our friends, our family members, or partners or spouses. It's tough trying to get to sleep with all those kinds of worries bouncing around inside your skull. Well, it turns out, one great way to make all these unwanted thoughts go away is to talk them through with someone else. This can help you get out of those negative thought cycles and find mental and emotional peace. And there's no better place to start than at BetterHelp Therapy Online. 
Your therapy at BetterHelp is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Simply fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and you can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash NightOwl today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash NightOwl. If you're a regular Night Owl listener, then you already know that I've been drinking AG1 since the beginning of this year, 2023. I initially tried AG1 in the hope of improving my overall gut health, something that I'd been having serious issues with for quite some time. AG1 did not let me down in that respect, as I began to see improved gut health almost immediately. Since then, however, I have learned that AG1 does so much more. This single daily scoop of AG1 supports my whole body health and covers my nutritional basis every single day. I start off each and every morning with AG1, even before my morning coffee, because I know that the highest quality ingredients in AG1 are going to provide me with everything I need for not only improved gut health and digestion, but also for an increase in my energy for the day on top of the support it's providing my body's immune system. All these health benefits, plus all the vitamins and minerals your body needs, can easily be found in one scoop of AG1 mixed with water. It's that simple. My new morning ritual is one scoop, once a day, every day for continued whole body health. Starting each day with AG1 gives me confidence to know that I have everything I need to go out and tackle each day. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamins D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash nightowl. That's drinkag1.com slash nightowl. Check it out. The last session of the night was really active. It started around 3 a.m. There were about four of us that were downstairs, including myself, and the temperature in the museum is almost always supposed to be around 70 degrees for the artifacts. But the temperature, they had things set up and the temperature dropped about seven degrees in about five minutes. And there was activity spotted by the bank vault and the hallway by collection. Both had cameras and eyewitnesses. So that was a really crazy kind of experience because you could almost feel a lot of, um, it was myself, Uh, the lead paranormal investigator and one of the staff's friends and really the energy was something I have never actually felt in this building before. It was very, very active. But through that whole investigation in August of 2016, we were able to learn a lot more about the spirit. So Amelia is still kind of the boss ghost and it takes a little bit for the rest of the spirits to kind of gain energy to interact. But Zach is pretty strong and what we have actually learned is that Faith will only only really likes to interact with peers of her own age. So when we do ghost tours, we give people dowsing rods and our spirits like to answer questions. But Zach is probably the strongest that comes through on there and then Amelia. But about two years ago, we actually learned about a new ghost. This new ghost wasn't around during the 2016 paranormal investigation. And he is now our strongest kind of presence. He says his name is Max. Um, this is something we learned through dowsing rods because that's dowsing rods is kind of the way besides the spirits leaving us little presents or doing things. Dowsing rods is really how we have more open communication with the spirit. But this spirit says he's Max and he's about 14 years old. And what is interesting about Max is he, unlike the other spirits, he doesn't really need time to get energy from somebody to be able to interact with the rods. If he likes you, he will answer very quickly. He actually has what we have coined a party trick, where if you're familiar with him and he likes you, he'll let you do it. But you can hold the rods apart and you can ask Max, can you please spin the rods? And they will spin in a complete circle. And he'll make them go really fast. Sometimes he'll you can get them to change. And as soon as you say, thank you, because that is one thing about our spirits. They are very particular. They like please and thank you when you're interacting with them. But that's something that he'll do. But as I said, the activity has always been increasing since 2016. They really like to react positively to the increase in communication. 
They like using dowsing rods. The front office has continued experiences. The desk actually has a pullout tray. And one of our um, previous visitor services coordinators one day pulls it out and the whole thing falls down because two of the screws were missing and the rest were loosened. And no staff admitted to any of this. It would have been a really odd thing to sit there and screw. Nobody admitted to it. And we couldn't find the other two screws. They were missing for a really long time until... About a day or so later, a docent, a volunteer, actually looks through and flips our visitor log, and the two screws were actually hidden in that visitor log. So I think it was kind of a mischievous thing. So we definitely noticed that the presence we call Amelia seems to kind of inhabit the hallway area primarily. However, um, there's one volunteer that calls her the, the boss ghost because she does seem to have more run of the entire building. And then Zach definitely feels like he's kind of towards the front a little bit more. Um, Usually in exhibit spaces have been my experiences with him. So Amelia kind of has her central location of the hallway. Um, Some people, when we have, with pretty rare, but we do have some museum overnights. And I, I never... I make it a point to never tell any children or anyone any ghost stories before they sleep in the museum because I don't want them up all night trying to keep me up. Um, but sometimes people see hands or things around the bank vault. Also, we don't know about the ghost in the collections area, that kind of man figure. We're not entirely sure who that might be or if he has a name, but Another kind of location, Zach will actually kind of follow people around. Some people who have been mediums have told us that they do that. And some of the staff members will actually kind of feel a presence down around your hip where like a small child would be. But Zach, he has an exhibit area that he likes to play. And at one point, it was set up as a Civil War exhibit. And there was a Civil War tent area. That's when we think he liked that area the most. He would play in that tent. And there was actually one night that we were talking to someone after an event and we were talking about spirit and we said the word Zach and all four of us that were standing there felt this huge rush of cold air come up to us and stop immediately there. And it wasn't the air conditioning turning on or anything like that. It was almost like a child figure came up and stopped right there. And so we figured out that Zach liked that area, that exhibit area, that the curator had to tell Zach that the exhibit was going to be changing. My next several experiences were really with Zach when I would be at the museum late putting exhibits together. Things would go off, things would go missing. There was once a pocket watch that was about 100 years old and no longer worked. It was one that needed to be wound, but it was in an exhibit case. And occasionally, it would just seem to decide to work and wind itself, despite the fact that it had been in the exhibit case for quite a while, and there would be no possible way anyone would have wound it to make it work. And the pocket watch had not been wound in about 100 years, and we didn't even think it worked. But there's a staff member at that time who was actually kind of afraid of the spirit, and Zach being a mischievous little six-year-old, would make the pocket watch behind Flexi that was screwed in tick. And if it was quiet enough, he would make it tick loud enough that the staff could hear it. And so we guessed that he had a new play toy. And so that exhibit has always kind of been a spot. Right now it's a Chisholm Trail exhibit. It's going to be a 175 years of Williamson County exhibit. It'll be interesting to see what Zach kind of chooses to play with it. And kind of the only other recurring thing that we don't really know their names, but up in the very front exhibit, we have a founding of the county exhibit. This is something that has happened actually since 2008 through today. There are two women that will hum, like almost like you're cleaning and humming and making a noise. But we've had occasionally a few people hear that, um, but it's normally only one person. One time we had a patron come in and said, what is that humming? And we even stopped the music that we played and she goes, what is that humming? And nobody else heard it. 
face, the one thing that she likes to do is she actually will make like an EVP, like a sound. And um, upstairs in the elevator, when you walk up, she'll say hello. And sometimes you think it's somebody else in the museum until you realize that you're all by yourself. But we have lots of those little subtle stories. Every staff member, depending on when they are here by themselves, um, some of our curators have kind of the funniest stories because, as you can imagine, as you've heard, they're a little bit mischievous. My name is Denise. I started working at the Williamson Museum in August of 2017. I was the educational assistant, had just graduated college, and was really interested in going into the museum field. After I got the job, I remember Danielle, who um, was my boss at the time, mentioning that, you know, they all kind of believed that they had spirits in the building. They did ghost tours. So I kind of had an idea um, that, you know, they thought that there were spirits there and things that had happened. But I really didn't have my first major encounter with the ghost until a couple months in, about October of 2017. That's when we usually have ghost tours at the museum. So we get to this one night. We're about to have ghost tours. During that time, the ghost tours start in the evening, but the museum closes around 5. So there's a couple-hour chunk of time before volunteers are arriving, um, usually around like 6.45 for the public to come. And during that time, we always have a staff member on duty that's there to, like, collect the volunteers when they show up and, um, you know, just get everything settled. So I happen to be the staff member that night. So I had gotten there before we closed for the day, but obviously when the museum closed, everybody left but me. And so I kind of took up at the front desk downstairs, right by the front door of the museum, the front like entryway of the museum to eat my dinner. That way, if any volunteers showed up early, I could just unlock the door, let them in. But mind you, I am by myself. All the lights are off. I'm at the front of the museum. And it's it's getting dark. Texas in October gets dark pretty early. So I'm sitting there eating food, just hanging out. And I start hearing some kind of weird noises coming from the back of the museum. Almost sounds like somebody is talking, um, but it's not anything that I can figure out what they're saying, if that makes sense. I decide that I'm going to go see what's going on, which was a little nerve-wracking to me as, like, brand new, like, two months into this job, not familiar (laughs) with this area very well. And at the time, in the back part of the museum on the first floor, we had an exhibit on Hispanic heritage that actually had several MP3 players, I want to say like three or four, that were set up with oral histories on them. Most of the oral histories were in English and some were in Spanish. So they did play oral histories if someone hit the button and started playing them. So that's my automatic first thought is, okay, maybe it's those MP3 players, because that's the only thing that makes noise back there that would sound like somebody talking. So I go back there, and it is indeed coming from the MP3 players. But what's odd is it was not playing these oral histories. It was playing something in a language that was not English or Spanish, and all of them are going off at the same time. So I, you know, turn them all off because I'm like, well, what do I do? I had never had that happen before, but at the time, you know, I've only been there two months. I don't know if it's ever happened before. So I go back after I've turned them all off and continue to eat my dinner. Um, At this point, I have texted Danielle and I'm like, hey, did these do that? Like, do they ever start playing things that aren't the oral histories in another language? Like, is that normal? You know, because this just happened. And I turned them all off. And she was like, "Mm, well, I've never had that happen, so I don't know. And she was like, but could be. Maybe just something weird happened. Well, a couple minutes later, I start hearing the exact same thing. Go back in the hallway. They are all back on. And all of them are playing the same thing again, where it was unclear what it was. So I turn them all off again, and this time I, luckily, um, I think and I remember, okay, well, there was a point when I started when Danielle was telling me about some of her experiences in the museum that they mentioned, one that, like, the spirits like to be talked to, and they noticed less things happened if they acknowledged them every once in a while. So I, feeling utterly ridiculous, was like, out loud, was like, hey, guys, um... I know you don't like ghost tours, but I'm by myself, and I don't really like having to come back here and keep having to turn these off. Um, It's 
kind of scary and I'm trying to eat my dinner so that we can just work the rest of the night. So I'd appreciate if you would just stop. And after that, I went back up, I ate my dinner. It did not happen again. And so later the next day or so, we tried to replicate and see if we could figure out what had happened, thinking like, oh, maybe they changed to like a radio station or something somehow. And we could not figure out how it happened. We couldn't figure out definitely how it would happen to one of them, but also how it would happen to all of them at once. During my interview process, I was very interested to discover this exact same experience was had by another staff member. Listen to Anne recount nearly an identical experience that she had with the same MP3 players. Another night, I was there by myself, late working on installing a new exhibit. And in another exhibit, we had these oral histories that you could put on headphones and listen to. And the oral histories kept going off. They kept starting and playing and I would hear them. I would hear several of them going off at once. And I went over and I physically turned off all of the MP3 players to the off position that were in that exhibit. And then a few minutes later, they all started going off again. And about the third time that this happened, I yelled at Zach to please stop it because I was tired and I needed to finish this and I just wanted to go home and I didn't have time to just go keep turning off the MP3 players. And then from that point on that night, they didn't go off again. There would be times when the curators would be in here working on the exhibits by themselves and you would start hearing that play through the MP3 player, even though it was plugged into headphones. So she got up and she switched off and it kept happening. And it happened so many times that she actually yelled at him to stop. And when we tell them to stop, they will stop. Kind of the other strange things is when my son was very little, when he was about 18 months to two years old, he often seemed to talk to people that weren't there when we were in the museum, which was not a behavior he exhibited in other places. He also one time offered a toy to someone I couldn't see, which was pretty pretty unusual. Again, not something I ever saw in other settings. So he never really seemed bothered by it. And I will say as a whole, all of my experiences there, I never felt threatened or scared or worried. They very much just kind of felt like um, co-workers you couldn't see that were maybe a little bit more mischievous than your average colleague at the time. Earlier this fall of 2022, a maintenance man looked at us. Nobody was working on that Monday and they come in and to fix something. And he looked at us and he said, is it haunted? Is this building haunted? Most of the historic buildings around here are. And so I, I said, yes, it is. He goes, I thought so. When I came in last Monday, he was also upstairs and nobody was in here. And I have to mention our, our museum staff is all female. And so he thought he saw a woman wearing white downstairs and he said oh I should go tell her that I'm here so I don't scare her when she comes up I don't want to scare her because she may not know I'm in here and so he goes downstairs and there's no one in here the doors are completely locked um so there are people who have other people who have seen this lady in white as we know Amelia at the close of these initial interviews there were two other staff members willing to share some smaller experiences they had First up is Haley, who had only just begun working at the museum, but her early experiences already were connecting with some of the regular activity experienced by her colleagues. My name is Haley. I am the Visitor Experience Coordinator at the Williamson County Historical Museum. I've been here for about seven or eight months now, and I uh, was very excited to start this position because it was probably the closest to my college passions, my college studies during my interview process. The last bit of it was to give me a tour. So the curator, Catherine, walked me downstairs and we took a look at the exhibit and made it through most of her, you know, main point. And then as she walked me past one of the original vaults and she said, oh, how do you feel about ghosts? Because we have some. <laughs> and uh, honestly, that just made me a little bit more excited because I've never once been uh, asked that question during an interview. And so, of course, I was very intrigued. And then the rest of my time here, I began asking questions about that. So that was my first introduction, inclination that there might be some unexplainable things that that would happen here. Maybe 
maybe about a month or two into me having started working here. So my office is positioned sort of toward the front left corner of the building. If you're looking at the museum from the street, I'm in the directly above me on the second floor. There's a long, narrow hall closet, which has to be, oh, I guess like 30 yards long. And so that's where they keep lots of the larger collection items. When I'd be here alone, it never really sounded like furniture scratching around on the floors for me, but it did sound like playing with a ball or just a random bump here and there, like a child's game was getting a little bit too out of control um, in the center of the floor and they would bump into the into the wall or into the shelves or something like that. That seemed most likely to my brain because of the descriptions that I've been given of said ghosts, which were, m- the majority of them were supposedly children. Um, and so that's that's what I sort of envisioned in my head as far as the noises I was hearing. Other than that, I've just sort of heard of other stories. But as far as I go, that's that's really the extent of what I've experienced. Other than me coming in and seeing sort of like the aftermath of possibly something happening. So one morning I'd come in and a very sturdy, long-standing framed newspaper clipping uh, sort of at the back of the building toward the employee entrance had bit, had fallen from the wall and the frame had broken. And it, it's at a height where... It, it would definitely have caused the frame to break. But like I said, sturdy installed to the wall. And when it fell, it ripped some of the paint off with the adhesive that was holding it up to the back. Um, and none of the others ever looked flimsy. None of the others ever fell. But that was like one of three things that happened in one week. But all in all, I believe that those are, are my main experiences. I have not experienced hearing anything audible or seeing anything uh, with my eyes, which I do sort of attribute to the fact that when I started, I asked them to take it easy on me. Uh, Like I said, I haven't heard anything or seen anything, but uh, apparently there is um, a younger woman who uh, would audibly say hello to some some of the employees here, some of the longer standing ones. But maybe we just haven't known each other long enough, or maybe they're just being extra courteous of my nerves. Hi, my name's Nancy Hill. I'm the executive director here at the Williamson Museum in Georgetown, Texas been here for about two and a half years and the museum is housed in this beautiful old uh, former bank building on the Georgetown Square and it's about at least a hundred years old and all of Georgetown downtown I have come to find out since I've been here has a reputation for having a lot of ghosts and otherworldly things that kind of go on in these parts. And that definitely includes this building. I should say that I am not a person who spends a lot of time chasing after this sort of thing. I don't consider myself a believer or not believer in paranormal. I just, I mean, I think there's just way more we don't understand about this world probably than what we do understand, but I'm just, it's not something I, I, choose to spend a lot of time on. So I feel like I'm not susceptible to thinking I'm experiencing something that I'm not. So with that as kind of the background, I really have been surprised to notice some unusual things in my time here. And the very first thing I did uh, when I came to the museum is we do these wonderful historic ghost tours around the town square. And they're led by my colleague, Danielle, who's fantastic. And my husband and I did one of these and walked all around the square, hearing the stories and, you know, took it in the spirit of sort of fun and interest, but didn't think much more about it. And it wasn't too much longer after that, that I came in on a Sunday and I was the only person here at the museum and I was here for too long. I was, I was got caught up in some work and I can only describe it as the energy changed. Suddenly, just whatever it is that makes your kind of hair stand up happened. And then outside of my office, I have kind of a small little office off the main open room upstairs of the museum. So it's generally very quiet. All of a sudden on a Sunday, every phone line in the building started ringing, just ringing off the hook. That never happens. 
that combined with the weird energy change, I walked outside, looked around out into the main area of the building, and I just got this weird feeling that I was being told to leave, that 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 I had outstayed my welcome <laughs> at the museum. And I said, okay, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. And the phone stopped, and the energy level seemed like it was getting back to normal. And then I went back in my office, but I didn't leave. I got kind of sucked back into my work. And <laughs> about five minutes later, it happened again, and it just intensified. Whatever the energy change had been previously, it took it to 11. Now, distinct, palpable, something is going on here, and the phones start ringing again. And I just said, okay, I'm leaving for real. And I left. <laughs> I was a little, I don't know, maybe not afraid, but it was, it was not a super comfortable situation. So that was my most kind of big experience. And I, to this day, have no explanation for it whatsoever. But it happened. You talked about these spirits and these, these names, right? Okay, this is the tricky part. You bring in a psychic, and when you bring them into a place where it's got such a solid, I guess, foundation where the staff, they call the spirits something, they believe they know what the spirits are. Oh. How do you feel? How certain do you feel that this is accurate? Well, I don't feel it's accurate at all, necessarily, especially in terms of Amelia. What we've come to believe is we have no idea if that's their real name whatsoever, that is just the name that they have presented for us to call or that they don't mind us calling them. We kind of came to that through just years of, you know, playfully asking, give us a sign or move this thing if if that's okay, if you just don't mind it or if it's your real name. And kind of coming to the conclusion that we don't really know, but it seems to seems to work for us, I guess, <laughs> is the is really what it boils down to is it seems to be something that they're willing to accept for us to acknowledge them in a way. If you work here long enough, the spirits have really become part of the museum. They let their opinions be known. They kind of are very mischievous, but everybody kind of has their own interactions. Some people have some different stories like Faith for a long time, one of our staff members had said it had happened. And I said, I'm sure it does, but I never had that experience until one day it did. So it's kind of interesting to see these little experiences. And um, it's really interesting that we have coworkers that you can't quite see, but they are there and they do let their presence be known. And so I don't really know, you know, what they were. I do believe that there is energy um, and I think there's an energy that can hang on I don't know if it was ghosts I don't know if it's the multiverse and we we're just overlapping with someone else for a minute I have no clue but I do definitely think there was something there that we couldn't see and we couldn't explain with what we currently know this show has taken me to many places investigating claims and experiences tattoo shops restaurants bars nightclubs, and even a historic farm. But this is the first time I've been called to explore an actual museum. With numerous sightings, reports, and paranormal investigations occurring over the last couple of decades at this location, I was eager to learn more. So I got my team ready and planned a trip for us to travel up to Georgetown, Texas and investigate the supposedly haunted Williamson Museum. Join us as this paranormal adventure continues on October 30th. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website, thenightowlpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Night Owl Podcast. And consider becoming a patron and supporting our show on patreon.com slash thenightowlpodcast to stay up to date with our show's news and events. Stay restless out there. I'd like to thank my investigative team, Alexis, Franklin, for going on these crazy adventures with me. Nicholas Fair for his talented musical contributions to this show, 
my dad Sam for his incredible historical research, Mikey for his assistance editing this particular episode, Sandra for keeping us all on schedule and on budget, my partner Peyton for encouraging me every time the workload for the show weighs heavy on my shoulders, and assisting on our investigations with photography. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftworks Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftworks Sound. Do you have a song that could use a professional touch to get it across the finish line? Do you wish you could remove the sound of a loud air conditioner or distracting mouth noises from your podcast recording? Whatever your issue, David can repair and enhance your audio and help you achieve rich, full, professional sound at industry standard loudness levels. Quit struggling with audio engineering and get back to creating. To discuss your options, reach out to David at driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T workSound.com, and set your creative self free. 